Welcome to the podcast, Commonwealth Magazine's weekly podcast of politics and policy in Massachusetts and uh, discussions with the people who influence and uh, impress both. My name is Jack Sullivan. I'm a reporter for Commonwealth Magazine. Last summer, after a number of fits and starts, Massachusetts lawmakers finally passed a law regulating transportation network companies. The Department of Public Utilities was given oversight uh, for uh, regulating the industry and initially signed memorandum of understanding with Uber, Lyft, and other uh, transportation network companies that uh, did a number of things, including um, kicked off state-run background checks for people who wanted to uh, drive for the companies. Uh, Roughly 70,000 people applied uh, for certification. Of those, some 8,000 were rejected, Uh, many of them for uh, a criminal history that uh, would not have shown up initially um, by a regular quarry check. Uh, That has uh, caused uh, hardship for a lot of the drivers, as well as for the transportation network companies, who are losing uh, some possible um, employees or independent contractors, as they call them. Uh, we'll, we're here today to discuss it with two people who are intimately involved and knowledgeable of it. Uh, first, we have Tom McGuire, General Manager for Uber New England. Tom, welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, Gabby Wolf, Legislative Director for the uh, American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts. Gabby, thank you for being here. It's my here. pleasure. Gabby, let me start with you. Um, What is the problem with having these types of background checks? I understand that a lot of people, um, approximately 14% were rejected um, after uh, the DPU ran these for uh, either multiple um, traffic violations uh, or for other criminal offenses. Um, isn't that what the purpose of it is, is to find people who might not be suitable uh, candidates to drive? Well, I think you're absolutely right that these regulations and the legislation that preceded them are meant to strike a balance between uh, making sure that uh, the systems and these, these uh, ride-sharing companies are hiring people who are uh, qualified to drive, who are... Um, going to be um, taking good care of the folks that they are transporting and making sure that um, you know, they are not unduly uh, interfering with people's right to employment. Now, if you've got a system where you put in place new regulations and nearly 15% of the workforce gets uh, booted out of the workforce, I think you've got to reevaluate what, where you're doing your line drawing. Obviously, this is a line drawing exercise, but uh, we know that uh, it doesn't have to be this way. And what, we've, what we see when we see people rejected from employment based on criminal history is we see a disproportionate impact on people of color, black and brown people. Because, of course, uh, we've got a criminal justice system that has a disparate impact on those communities. Well, I, I, I want to circle back to that in a minute, Gabby, but let me bring Tom in here. Uh, Tom, at the uh, public hearing that DPU had on Monday to uh, um, on these regulations, there were a number of people who talked about um, some criminal histories that they had that, you know, 
prevented them from, from becoming drivers. But there was also some people who were in support of these. And, and I recall one person standing up um, and reading off headlines about uh, transportation network company drivers um, who were charged with various crimes. Isn't that what what you want? Don't you want people to know that that the drivers you have have been sufficiently vetted and and, and certified to be safe by the state? Safety is and has always been a priority here at Uber, and it's why we focused on investing in technology and new features of safety, you know, before, during, and after every trip. And we're bringing new innovative ways to think about safety, and I think that's an important thing to think about. The the other piece to this, though, and I think the, the biggest question is, is this process first just and sound? And second, is it really meeting the legislative intent? And I think that's that's where a lot of people were questioning. And yes, they spoke to those headlines. Yes, they spoke to, to their individual cases. And that's important. That's important that people were speaking um, from their individual individual stories, because those are the stories we need to be listening to. And those are the stories that the Department of Public Utilities needs to hear. There, there is, though, a process um, that, that allows for appeals. And um, several hundred uh, drivers have already had their appeals heard and um, the uh, adjudication overturned. Um, doesn't that then say that the, the process is working and that's the way that, that the legislature intended it to be? There's a few things to that. First, Absolutely, people have appealed and, and, and successfully gotten back, back on the road. But there are, are many, many others, and we heard from them yesterday, um, or two days ago, excuse me, um, that were unable to get their appeals heard, that weren't sure how the process works. There are people that are not sure who to speak to or how to go through this process. And even still, there's discretion. There's discretion um, in the process that, that makes it so we don't know how people can get through that, that appeals process. We don't know who is getting through the process or how that's working. And, and the drivers are asking, especially, especially at this hearing, for a clear, transparent process. You know, there are a few people that absolutely got appealed, but there are hundreds more that have been uh, removed from earning an income uh, that don't know how to get back on the road. And, and that's, that's what they were speaking to at the hearing. And, and, and it's important that, that they keep speaking that way. Gabby, you, you brought up the fact that, uh, and I, 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 I think most people will agree that the numbers bear you out, that uh, minorities have a disproportionate encounters with number of uh, encounters with uh, police and therefore are more likely to have some type of a uh, Corey uh, um, record. But isn't that also the same, isn't that also true for uh, taxi drivers. There was a uh, driver that spoke uh, at the hearing on Tuesday um, who, while he admitted he didn't have all the numbers, um, estimated that about 70 80 percent of uh, cab drivers in Boston are uh, people of color. Um, they have to go through background checks. Why should it be any different for uh, um, somebody who drives for a transportation network company? You know, uh, you're absolutely right that um People of color drive for taxis and they drive for transportation network companies. And the background checks that they go through, you know, I don't have a, a perspective on whether those uh, ought to be the same or there's some reason that they ought to be different. Uh, but I think that we need to consider that the, the new regulations apply only to the uh, transportation network companies. And those new regulations far exceed the um, the 
parameters that were drawn by the legislature when they passed legislation last year. The legislature set out certain um, disqualifying factors and, and the Department of Public Utilities has uh, added to those in major, major ways that um, have, I think, jacked up the numbers of people who are now no longer able to be employed in a way that they were, you know, uh, and supporting their uh, their families. Now their livelihood's been taken away. Uh, Tom, how many how many drivers would you estimate uh, Uber has lost through this uh, process? Well, the the Department of Public Utilities came out um, a few weeks ago, and they uh, put out a number um, for the entire industry. Um, that was a little over 8,000 to my understanding, which, which is a lot of people to think that there's, you know, 8,000 there. I think the, the impact should be on the individuals, though. I think that, that's where we need to be talking about it, or on the individuals that are impacted. And, and that's, that's actually the best uh, and, and most, uh, most impactful part of the hearing yesterday was hearing from those individuals. They're, they're the ones that, that, sh that should be heard. I think a number is a number, but we need to be thinking about individual people. We need to be thinking about their families. We need to be thinking about how they can make ends meet. And there were many yesterday that spoke to how they can't make those ends meet, how now they don't know how to get back on the road. They, don't, they have criminal, uh, a, a criminal history that dates back 40-plus years ago. We heard from at least two drivers, especially in the morning, that were speaking to how they had made a mistake 40-plus years ago, haven't had one since then, and, and now are unable to make ends meet um, you know, as, the, as they're um, getting older. Well, just as a little pushback, Tom, I, I, I certainly understand that. But as you and, and Gabby would probably admit, you, you can't craft statute on based on individuals. You, it has to be for the greater good. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I heard in that in that hearing, while there were people that had um, lookbacks on their uh, driving record going back thirty-five and forty years, and I think most. Um, most people of common sense would say, you know, that's that's not a fair way to do it. There were also people that stood up and said, you know, they they were rejected because they had a restraining order put on them, um, or or some type of assault, um, even though it was you know several years ago. I mean, should not those people um, be excluded uh, from uh, driving because there there is a history there. We're asking for the the DPU to go back to the intent of the legislature. And I think to to your point, the legislator put out parameters to which um, we should be um, disqualifying drivers, and those parameters are not the same parameters that the DPU is currently using, that indefinite look-back period is one of them. You know, the legislative uh, intent was seven years. And they, there's, there's a description as to what, um, you know, particular offenses that entails and, and, and how, how long they should be looking back on those offenses. And, and, and the challenge was that that's just not being followed now. And, that, and that's where we're arguing. We, we submitted 20 pages of comment on the, uh, on, the, on the rules that are proposed. And much of that talks about the indefinite look-back period, but also the continuance without finding, which is, which is really odd, an odd provision that was included in, in the Department of Public Utilities regulations that are really unjust. And we heard from a number of folks um, this week that, that have these continuance without findings uh, that, frankly, may not have understood what it was when they, when they um, pled 
to that quaff. And, and now they're realizing that the, that actually will impact them later in life when they were told that it wouldn't impact their ability to get an education or to get a job. Gabby, what, what, what is the line that you see that needs to be drawn for this? I mean, you deal with civil rights, you deal with uh, um, ex-offenders. Uh, it, it, at what point, where is that tipping point that we, um, that we need to um, be concerned about the safety of passengers versus allowing somebody to reclaim and, uh, and, and get back into uh, society? Well, I think that the uh, legislature made it pretty clear that, the, that we want to make sure that people who have had some involvement in the criminal justice system um, and particularly the legislature focused on people who had been convicted of certain crimes, that after seven years they ought to be able to, um, you know, rejoin society, right? These are people who uh, have, you know, they made some mistake at some point. Uh, it's been a long time. And people who are hardworking, responsible people, have been trying to, to provide for their families, we've got to make sure that they can do that. We, uh, you know, Tom was talking about uh, the individual stories, and, and I was very moved to hear uh, at the hearing you know, stories of individuals you know, who are the sole caretakers for people in their family, right? We've heard from uh, single mothers who said, this is a really good job for me because it allows for flexibility. I can, uh, you know, if my child gets sick, I can be there. Um, you heard from people who were caring for ill relatives. And what they were saying was, you know, I'm trying to make my uh, life work. I'm trying to care for people in my life, for my family. I need an income. I, you know, this is part of the way that I can uh, be a contributing member of society and, and uh, of my community. And uh, it simply isn't fair to say, gee, if you ever had something in your past that was a problem, you're no longer eligible for doing this kind of work. Um, so th that forever look back is a real problem. You know, uh, Tom also identified this important uh, problem of, of uh, the regulations uh, disqualifying people for continuances without a finding on their record, uh, not just convictions. And it's important to, to be clear that a continuance without a finding, or no, also known as a quaff, is uh, not an admission of guilt. It's not a, uh, you know, that somebody's been through a court process and they found that somebody had done something wrong. It's uh, that they voluntarily said, you know what, uh, I'd like to be able to move on with my life. Uh, I'm going to keep, uh, you know, if I, I meet certain conditions, I steer clear of, uh, you know, any, um, you know, trouble with the law in the next period of time, you're going to let me move on. That's what they're expecting, that they're going to be allowed to move on. And if, if you're um, turning around now and saying, gee, uh, we told you you could move on, but um, really you're not going to be able to have a job in this growing industry, that's a problem. Well, one of the things, and, and, and both of you brought up this idea of a quaff, but, it, but again, just to play devil's advocate here, um, a, a quaff is basically an admission that um, a, a a prosecutor has sufficient evidence that a jury could reasonably find you guilty, uh, and the SJC has held that up. Um, 
so why shouldn't that be considered equal to a um, uh, a guilty finding? You know, at least within that uh, period of time, um, f- for just that reason. Tom, maybe you could uh, address that. You know, I think the the with quaffs the the challenge there is that this is impacting people who maybe didn't understand what they were entering into at the time, but also this is not a, a quaff um, plea. It's not used, from my understanding, in other um, in other occupations as a as a factor to why someone would not get a employment or get get an ability to earn an income, and and that's the real challenge. Why are we being held to that standard as a as a ride sharing company, whereas other industries aren't held to that? And I think probably Gabby can speak more to 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 other industries or how this is how this is impacted in Massachusetts more. But I think that's the challenge, right? It's saying how why is why are transportation network companies held to a different viewpoint for 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 this type of of plea? I think it's. Gabby, well, I think it's ahead. also uh, worth thinking, you know, taking a step back and thinking a little bit about uh, the kind of public policy that we want to set here in Massachusetts. We have seen um, politicians at the highest levels in our state make um, re-entry from the criminal justice system a huge priority. The Speaker of the House, the Senate President, the Governor, the Attorney General have all um, said we need to be making sure that people who have had some criminal justice involvement are able to find a path forward in their lives later on. Uh, you know, that's the, the story behind why we um, invited in the Council of State Governments to analyze our system and figure out how can we help people um, avoid uh, ending up back in the system. Well, one way that we can help people avoid any, uh, ending up back in the system is by making sure that they are employable, um, you know, uh, on the tail end of um, their, their um, time connected to the system. And that means that we can't uh, simply disqualify people from uh, decent jobs. Um, Tom, let me let me ask you. Um, there were a couple of dissonant voices there as well, uh, cab drivers and and people who are um, uh, associated with uh, that industry, and some of the things that they brought up uh, beyond just the uh, criminal background checks um, is the idea that the DPU is not sufficiently regulating the number of uh, Uber drivers uh, or transportation network drivers. In um, uh, Boston, for instance, uh, they're you know limited by uh, the number of medallions, which is 1,825. W- is it unreasonable to ask for uh, DPU to uh, p- put a cap in place for the number of uh, drivers, or should it be infinite? Great question. Ride-sharing is a relatively new industry. You know, we're a seven-year-old company, and we are, are bringing a different real industry to 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 the ability to get around. And one of that one of piece to that is a flexible opportunity. And and frankly in Massachusetts, the average driver drives, you know, at less than 10 hours a week. Um, the flexible opportunity for drivers to be able to come on and off 
the platform is really important to, to them uh, and, and the accessibility there. So we heard from drivers, um, and Gabby spoke to, to some of them who have you know, enjoyed the fact that they can provide for their families or support sick relatives or support their children while also being able to have this flexible opportunity to earn an income. The, that is part and the paramount to our industry is that flexibility and, and that flexibility needs to be, be held true for us to, to continue to provide that economic opportunity for folks here in the Commonwealth. Gabby, back on the background checks again. Um, there was a uh, an advocate from a uh, um, nonprofit group called uh, um, Families Families uh, for Justice as Healing, right? Um, which is a uh, group that advocates for uh, uh, incarcerated women and um, a, a, about the incarceration of women. And one of the things that she said, um, if I remember, her name was uh, Mallory Honora. Um, and she said that, um, and I've got the quote here, denying people with a criminal record does not protect me. I think it's immoral to punish people for the rest of their lives. We, sh we believe there should be no look back. If a person has a current Massachusetts license, they should be able to drive. Are you on board with that? You no, know, I think that uh, I really appreciate her passion and I appreciate uh, her framing this in moral terms, because I think that there is a, a really important moral argument here. I don't know whether she was speaking you know, when she was talking about no lookbacks ever, uh, whether she was speaking about uh, criminal history or uh, suspended licenses. There are, I think that there is a problem where you, you know, of saying that somebody who had a suspended license at any point in the last seven years, um, shouldn't be able to drive. People can have their licenses suspended for reasons that have nothing to do with driving infractions, right? That have uh, minor, uh, very minor infractions. And um, once a license has been reinstated, that I think is a, an appropriate time for somebody to be able to resume uh, their employment in this field. With, within the context of the um, uh, statutory uh, look That's back? Right. Uh, Tom, one one final thing. Um, when when we talk about uh, um, the lookbacks, uh, seven years is what you talked about. There are some areas of Corey that allow a uh, a business um, uh, or or an employer uh, to look back a little further. Would would you be open to having it um, aligned with the statutory? Um, uh, parameters of what Corey allows uh, as a compromise then between the infinite look back versus the seven years? I have to look back at the, using look back as a, as a double, <laughs> double term here, um, I have to look back at the exact statutory uh, Corey requirements to answer that fully, but I think what we're talking about here is the just process and the process that that makes the most sense for the for drivers that are directly impacted. And so when we talk about unlimited look back period, we talk about the seven years, it's important to, to make sure that we are following the intent of the law and we're following what uh, 200 legislators across, legislators across the Commonwealth came together and voted on uh, last year and making sure that we're, we're validating that and, and using the public process to make sure that we are following the best process going forward for, for uh, these background tracks. 
and and one more thing, and I I guess I lied when I said one more thing. <laughs> That's uh, okay. One one more thing. You and Lyft both signed memorandum memorandums of understanding, which uh, incorporated these regulations. Why changing now? I mean, you knew what they were going in. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's important to take one step back and understand that you know this MOU process was done behind closed doors. And as we learned this week, uh, just how important it is to have a public conversation about it. And, and having that public conversation and public input is exactly what we need to make sure that we are operating correctly and operating under the right guidance here in Massachusetts. Gabby, if, if one more question for you. If... Um if if the DPU uh, decides that they'll leave everything as is, uh, is there uh, another avenue of um, uh, recourse for you guys? Or are you considering any kind of uh, challenge or litigation to well, it? Well, my work is in policy uh, rather than litigation, but I think that it's always important to uh, look at the impact of uh, regulations like these. And when the uh, impact has uh, is... Uh, disproportionately felt by communities of color, I think we um, will take a strong look and, and uh, we would have serious concerns about that. Great. Well, thank you, guys. Um, that's it for this week's edition of the Codcast. Um, I'm Jack Sullivan, Commonwealth Magazine. I want to thank Tom McGuire from Uber, New England. Tom, thank you. Thank you so much. And Gabby Wolf, the Legislative Director for the... Uh, uh, American Civil Liberties Union of Massachusetts. Gabby, it's been thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. Um, this has been uh, this week's edition of the Codcast. You can find us on iTunes or on SoundCloud or go on to our website at www.commonwealthmagazine.org and click on the fish. Again, my name is Jack Sullivan. We hope to uh, have you tune in next week as well. Thank you. Old pirates, yes, they rob I. Sold I to the merchant ship Minutes after they took I From the bottomless pit But my hand